0: Hey, this is Wanda Sykes, and you're listening to KPFK, 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. And if you'd like to shell out a few bucks, you know, keep us up and running so I can have nice conversation in a cool voice like this. Pick up the phone and call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Thank you.
1: KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, Los
2: Angeles. In today's headlines, starvation is taking lives in Gaza. Active duty U.S. Air Force member Aaron Bushnell sets himself on fire to protest genocide in Gaza. LA City Council fails to house homeless. Splits emerge in labor over endorsing Biden. L.A. landfill fire spews toxins. L.A. protesters shame Nancy Pelosi over Gaza. How U.S. intelligence took over Ukraine. Ukraine says Alexei Navalny died of a blood clot. U.S.-funded resource warfare in Congo. News from non-NATO sources. All this and more coming up. Good evening for KPFK's Rebel Alliance News. I'm Michael Novick. A famine is unfolding in Gaza where about 2 million displaced Palestinians have resorted to consuming animal feed and pets amid dwindling supplies of food. The United Nations has already begun reporting deaths from starvation and malnutrition, while aid agencies have been forced by Israel to pause deliveries since January 23rd. A two-month-old boy has died from starvation today, as over 750,000 Palestinians are suffering from acute starvation. On Friday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu outlined his plan for a post-war Gaza. He called for Israel to maintain full security control of the entire Gaza Strip while opposing the future creation of a Palestinian state. This comes as negotiations continue over a possible six-week pause to the fighting as part of a deal to free the remaining hostages in Gaza. Meanwhile, Palestinian Authority Prime Minister Mohammed Shtaier and his cabinet have resigned. For years, Palestinian groups have called for the resignation, as the Palestinian Authority, or PA, was seen as collaborating with Israeli forces. Aaron Bushnell, a 25-year-old active-duty U.S. airman, has died after setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington to protest against the Israeli massacre of Palestinian civilians. He recorded himself before and during his protest. Here is Aaron Bushnell in his own words, minutes before he set himself on fire, chanting, Free Palestine. I am an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit
1: in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal.
2: Hamas has expressed condolences to the U.S. airman's family and friends, likening Bushnell to U.S. activist Rachel Corey, who was killed by an Israeli bulldozer while trying to protect a Palestinian home in Gaza from demolition in 2003. The group added that Bushnell's name will remain eternal in the memory of Palestinians and all the free people of the world. It further stated that Bushnell's active protest reflects the growing U.S. public anger against the Biden administration over its backing of the war on Gaza. As you heard earlier in Flashpoints, there are protests and memorials going on this evening, including here in Los Angeles at the Israeli consulate in West L.A., a candlelight vigil by Code Pink until 7 p.m. As protests against the ongoing genocide in Gaza continue worldwide, about 30,000 Palestinians have been killed so far, with over 10,000 more feared dead under the rubble of bombarded houses and about 70,000 wounded in addition. Two years ago, here in Los Angeles, the city settled with the LA Alliance for Human Rights, establishing goals for the city to house a minimum of 60% of the people living on the streets in each of the 15 LA City Council districts. L.A. Alliance sued the city and county to compel elected officials to rapidly address the homelessness crisis and demanded the immediate creation of shelter and housing to get people off the streets. The L.A. Alliance also requested services and treatment to keep the unhoused in shelter and regulation of public spaces to make streets, sidewalks, and parks safe and clean. In the settlement, it was agreed that the city would reduce encampments establish deadlines and goals to document its progress, and return public spaces to their intended uses. Earlier this month, the Alliance filed a new legal motion demanding that the city face a $6.4 million fine for its alleged lack of transparency and failure to actually reduce homeless encampments. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass called the motion baseless, claiming that the city brought thousands more unhoused Angelenos inside last year than in 2022, but the fact is that the 2023 homeless count revealed a 10% increase of the unhoused population in L.A. City, with over 46,000 people sleeping on the streets at any given day. In the settlement agreement, the city had set a milestone of 3,700 new beds for the unhoused in the last fiscal year, but created only 1,748 such beds in that period, the court motion contends. The LA Alliance also alleges that while the city committed to create about 5,200 beds by the end of 2023, it has created only 2,800, falling 2,400 short. City Attorney Heidi Feldstein Soto claimed that the city was, quote, in full compliance with its obligations under the settlement agreement and that the LA Alliance has suffered no actual damages as a result of any delay, unquote. The Alliance has stated that all unhoused, plus everyone in the city, has suffered damages due to the city's failure to provide relief. The Alliance also sued the county of Los Angeles on similar grounds, where currently over 75,000 additional unhoused people live, up 9% from the previous year. The City Council moved forward Friday on plans to begin a master leasing program in the city, picking up. An approach already in use by LA County to expand the number of available units for unhoused residents. Quote, master leasing is the securing of all or part of an apartment building on a long term lease, then subleasing the units to unhoused individuals or families while providing them with supportive services, unquote, said Councilwoman Katie Arislavski, who in December 2022 first proposed that the city adopt the approach. Friday, in a 14 to nothing vote, City Council members instructed staff to prepare contract terms and other benchmarks to implement the L.A. Homeless Service Authority's master leasing program. It will start with a pilot program in Yaroslavsky's own 5th district, encompassing West L.A. neighborhoods. Yaroslavsky said that with few interim housing sites for the general unhoused population available in her district, the master leasing plan could address a big need and do so swiftly. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head <laughs> It's like a juggle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under On January 24th, the United Auto Workers Union, UAW, officially endorsed Joe Biden for president at their Community Action Program conference. However, three rank-and-file UAW members holding a Palestinian flag interrupted Biden's speech with chance of ceasefire now. They were immediately removed by the Secret Service. Peter Ross spoke with Nikki and Johanna, two of these protesters, who were also organizers with Labor for Palestine, a national group of unionists fighting for the labor movement to take up the defense of Palestine and oppose U.S. aid and arms to Israel.
3: We were very upset to learn after the fact that there was kind of a, a closed-door vote on whether to endorse Biden, where the people voting were instructed how to vote, and there wasn't any conversation really around it. Members weren't polled. I don't think this represents necessarily the the views of actual members. Um, there's, a, there's no way to know because we weren't asked. But so there was kind of a, a surprise endorsement. And so we found out at the last minute that Biden was coming, You know, we knew that we wanted to take the opportunity to to register our dissent and really keep up with this really inspiring wave of people across the country who are speaking up at public events and shouting ceasefire now or just trying to like hold the Democrats especially responsible for the, the genocide that they are fueling by sending weapons and support to Israel. We found out Biden would be speaking and we kind of made a quick decision on what to do and that we needed to like get some kind of chant going. And really just like try to confront both him and the UAW leadership in whatever way we could. So we had a Palestine flag and we figured out basically a signal for the three of us to stand up and start chanting and hold up the flag and we knew that it was likely that we would be taken out of the room. And indeed, that's what happened. So Secret Service immediately pounced on us and literally dragged us out of the room. So Nikki and I both got dragged out while uh, while holding on the flag, which was kind of amazing Nick- on yeah. Nikki's
4: part. <laughs> a-, a contingent of us in the UAW had come to the conference prepared to do some advocacy work. So we went to UAW cap is like kind of the political wing of the UAW Catholic. So it's responsible for, you know, like endorsing candidates and in some cases also funding them. Disrupting Joe Biden was not the only th- thing that we did. Uh I we disrupted Sean Fain in one of his speeches early on in the U conference. We disrupted Bernie Sanders when he came to speak, organizing
3: through a group called UAW Labor for Palestine. Right. Um
4: And so that's how
3: we kind of put together the petition and the flyers and just all of our organizing structure that we came prepared with is through this group, which is a new kind of nationwide group within UAW that is calling for a ceasefire and divestment among other things.
4: This group is working on actually getting BDS to happen within the UAW, talking to members across sectors, especially there some of you may know that there are some like weapons manufacturing workers within the UAW. So working to build coalitions there and see if we can get any movement um and support from those places as well as trying to Discuss within the UAW where some of our money is being invested in. There are groups within the UAW who have really prevented us from making a lot of the progress that we would like to have made in all this time. We wanted to be able to have open dialogue with other members across sectors and just been given a lot of excuses for months for why that couldn't happen. We've wanted Sean Fein to meet with our Palestinian unit members. That seems to not be happening for some reason. We had put together this effort at the CAP conference to get signatures on this petition, all the while there are decisions being made behind scenes about endorsements unbeknownst to any of us. I think
3: a lot of us feel very grateful for the um like democratic rank and file led movement happening within the UAW that got Sean Fain elected. And and that feels really meaningful to a lot of us and, and many of us helped him get elected. But at the same time, there's a lot of room to improve so that we can have a truly democratic union. And so that means things like obviously actually asking members before you make endorsements, which is something other unions do. A union that's actually committed to a ceasefire in a material way instead of a merely performative way can do a lot of things to facilitate conversation between members kind of the just transition model that UAW is pursuing for electric vehicles. You know, what does it look like to have our own members who work in industries that are hurting other people, um, whether that's fossil fuels or weapons production, what does it look like to make it so that they have access to more ethical jobs so that nobody loses their job, but that, you know, we're not making the world a worse place. And that's a model that we've pursued aggressively at this point for electric vehicles. And we want to see the same thing you know, in kind of the militarization of our country and, and weapons production. So UAW support in divesting from the Israeli war machine requires support for some kind of just transition model. And that's something that I think a lot of members really want, but we're not seeing yet. So our hope is to push the UAW to to do something more material than just kind of say, we want to ceasefire.
5: And the ceasefire statement uh, didn't come out until the end of November, about seven weeks after this started. Really a a long delay. I mean, by then, well over 10,000 people were dead. There seems to be this contrast between the empty ceasefire statements on, on the part of union leaderships and what rank and file members are rallying around.
4: Yeah, that decision was really delayed. And that decision to publicly come out and do that, even though we had been fighting for it for some time, also came as a surprise to those of us organizing. Again, there's just this disconnect still happening between rank and file and some of our executive members of the union.
5: And it seems that the delegates at the conference knew in advance that you were going to be protesting and had planned to chant over you and then stood by while you were dragged out by government agents.
4: On that day, there were people who were like, you know, behaved. <laughs> so I've seen like videos now from like different angles, too. And, and yes, there were ch- chanting like immediately around us. I will say that even after we had done that, people still were approaching us after we had gotten kicked out, thanking us for doing that, saying that it was the right thing to do. People were expressing that frustration. They were upset in that way, saying things like, I can't believe that they allowed our own union members to be removed from our own union halls. By the president's thugs
5: and uh, Sean O'Brien, president of the Teamsters Union is now repeatedly meeting with Trump not just once and so I guess one of the excuses for this endorsement of Biden is that you know well you know we have to we have to back him over Trump. Are there other possibilities for the labor movement?
4: I certainly would hope so I and mean, that's what a lot of us especially doing this kind of work are hoping to build towards. The endorsement for biden coming from the uaw one it's so early in the election cycle to be making an endorsement so much can happen between now and november even if you genuinely did want joe biden to win it's just an odd choice two when it comes to our advocacy for a ceasefire uh in palestine we missed out on a lot of leverage we could have we could have had leverage with our endorsement during that time Personally, and I know there are a lot of other people within the UAW who feel this way, too, I don't really see too much of a difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I think that the rise in fascism can be addressed through our unions, through solidarity within our unions. But I think, like, a lot of American unions have spent the last many decades really embedding themselves in the capitalist system. And we have a lot of work to do in terms of, like, political education and talking to our fellow union members to work through that and what what the future of labor could look like for us sean fein seems to kind of understand that when he advocates for a general strike in 2028 but i also very strongly believe based off of joe biden shutting down the railroad workers that he would absolutely shut down our efforts for a general strike in 2028.
2: And we turn from labor calls for a ceasefire in Palestine to reports of a toxic landfill fire here in Los Angeles. On Thursday, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, ordered operators of Chiquita Canyon Landfill just west of Santa Clarita to take immediate steps to protect human health and the environment. According to the EPA, the smoldering Castaic facility poses an imminent danger to nearby communities due to toxic fumes, hazardous liquid waste and noxious odors. EPA Pacific Southwest Regional Administrator Marta Guzman said, quote, this order reflects EPA's commitment to ensuring landfill operators comply with federal law to prevent public exposure to hazardous wastes, unquote. The source of the growing crisis is a heat-generating chemical reaction that began deep within the landfill in May of 2022, almost two years ago. Extreme heat and growing pressure within the dump have caused piping hot contaminated water to spill onto the surface and occasionally to erupt like a geyser. This polluted water has contained cancer-causing benzene above federal standards, classifying it as liquid hazardous waste, according to environmental regulators. Officials have also raised concerns that toxic fumes are drifting into neighboring communities and that polluted water has been discharged into nearby waterways due to heavy rains. Although tests showed benzene levels in excess of federal standards as early as last August, the landfill's operator, Waste Connections Incorporated, continued to send truckloads to two facilities that are unauthorized to handle hazardous waste, according to the EPA. In late January, officials uh, informed the facilities that the polluted water contained elevated levels of benzene In addition, the landfill acknowledged that some of this chemical-laced water produced enough flammable vapor to be ignitable. In addition to the EPA's action, the California Department of Toxic Substances Control has issued multiple violation notices in connection with the landfill's disposal of hazardous waste. Still, nothing has changed as yet. As landfill operators struggle to control the chemical reaction, They acknowledge that the amount of contaminated water leaking from the facility has increased from about 20,000 gallons daily to 200,000 gallons a day, according to the private landfill operators. Residents surrounding the facility have lodged more than 7,000 complaints about noxious odors in the past year. On Thursday, dozens of discontented residents gathered at Hasley Canyon Park in Castaic where recent air sampling detected benzene concentrations more than eight times higher than the state's health limit. The park is located alongside Live Oak Elementary School, where school staff began giving students the option to sit indoors instead of playing outside for recess. Among the demonstrators were California Assembly members Chris Holden and Pilar Schiavo. They were among several lawmakers who sent a letter to the State Department of Toxic Substances Control requesting increased state oversight and accountability. Holden said, quote, the operators of Chiquita Canyon Landfill have delivered inadequate results in addressing the alarming concerns of the public nuisance that they are causing. This is a public health crisis caused by them. It requires a permanent solution that provides immediate relief for the impacted communities and their families, unquote. Recently, Citizens for Chiquita Canyon Closure, a nonprofit based in Val Verde, sued Los Angeles County, demanding that the permit be revoked and calling for waste disposal activities to immediately cease. The landfill, the second largest in LA County, accepts roughly 7,000 to 8,000 tons of garbage every day. But LA County Supervisor Catherine Barger, who represents the area, has expressed hesitance to close the site. Barger said in a statement, quote, The county cannot unilaterally close the landfill without justification. Closing the Chiquita Canyon landfill would have no effect on decreasing or eliminating odors, unquote. She suggested that residents who are heavily impacted should move elsewhere. This has enraged many of the long-term residents. <clears throat> Amber Elton, who has lived in Valverde for more than 30 years, said, quote, They would need to provide us with a similar housing situation. We can't be re- re- be relocated to a motel room with our kids and dogs and asked to live in that way. I mean, these are our homes, unquote. The
1: KBFK Rebel Alliance
2: News, Los Angeles. In other local news, yesterday a rally at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in Los Angeles protested House Representative Nancy Pelosi's appearance at a lavish fundraising event while people are starving in Gaza. Organizers spoke about Pelosi's continual support for Israeli militarism and for the ongoing onslaught in Gaza, especially Rafah and across Palestine. Peter Ross has the story.
6: My name is Tawara Khaled. So I'm here with the Palestinian youth movement. We're here because Nancy Pelosi is in L.A. and she's in her backyard. And we're here to let her know that she is not welcome in our backyard as long as she supports genocide. She has unequivocally called for the support and has declared her full support for Israel, calling it the greatest creation of the 20th century. She has denied a ceasefire and she has spread misinformation like continuously. And she's here fundraising, um, as most government officials do, especially since the presidential campaign is happening. But essentially, we're here to let our government officials know, specifically Nancy see Pelosi since she's in our backyards that business will not go as usual, and they cannot just come into our town peacefully until they heed our demands, which is to end the occupation in Palestine, obviously stop the bombing in Gaza, lift the 17-year-long siege in Gaza and free all Palestinian political prisoners that have been imprisoned because of the occupation in Gaza. So we're just here to let her know that until our demands are heard and until they are met, we will continue to be out in the streets shutting business down and making sure that they are not able to walk in the street peacefully As Palestinians have not known peace for over three months and 75 years. So America, regardless of who's in the president, whether Democrat or Republican, the United States plays a very important role in Israel's destruction and violence against the Palestinian people. Obviously, prior to uh, President Biden, annually, America has been giving $3.8 billion of American taxpaying dollars to Israel to continue to fund them. And this this is like just actual cash. On top of this, they also give weapons. They use American weapons in Israel to continue the destruction in Gaza, in the West Bank, and to occupy Palestine from 1948. So the U.S. has a big role because they continue to fund Israel. They continue to deny and veto ceasefires and U.N. resolutions and U.N. hearings. And they continue to spread misinformation to justify a grounding for the occupation that Israel is committing and the genocide that Israel is committing. The United States is complicit, even though they try to act like they're not. They say lies all the time and say, we will not allow genocide to happen, but it has been happening for three months and 75 years when most Americans are suffering financially. America is giving our tax paying money that we work very hard for to Israel to continue to their destruction. So instead of giving the money back to the people where it should be going, it's going to kill Palestinian people in Gaza and occupy Palestinian land since 1948. Rafah is a small city in southern Gaza. In October, Israel started bombing in north Gaza and has instructed people to go to a safe zone, which is towards the south. And they are now refugees because their homes have been bombed, their families have been taken from them, so there's many orphans, there's many people who don't have anyone surviving other than themselves. So they have been expelled from their homes, forced into refugeehood. So now it's two million Palestinians are in this very small city, kettled and compacted with nowhere to live. That's nowhere that's safe. And Israel has essentially kettled them into this area where they can just relentlessly bomb, where Palestinians also have nowhere to go. I would say our main demands right now in this moment is an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. We want the 17-year-long siege to be lifted in Gaza. A lot of people think that this started three months ago, but the siege in Gaza has been for 17 years, and the occupation has been for 75 years of Palestine. We demand all Palestinian political prisoners to be released from prisons, from Zionist prisons, and we also demand the end to U.S. aid. We want people to know that when we are united and we stand, we are able to succeed in our resistance and fighting the occupation. Our government officials should not be walking around peacefully and you should be making their lives hell as they continue to support a genocide and are very complicit in the genocide of the Palestinian people. On Saturday, March 2nd, we want to make
0: sure that we have the
4: biggest mobilization we've ever had. On March 2nd, we have a global call to action. We'll be organizing our march at City Hall for Southern California
6: to turn out for Gaza.
2: And you're listening to uh, KPFK's Rebel Alliance News. If you'd been listening to the news on NPR, you probably would have heard three or four underwriting announcements in this half hour uh, uh, directing you to uh, the uh, major corporations that fund the news on NPR. If you've been watching the news on NBC or MSNBC, in a half hour of news, you probably would have been subjected to 10 or 11 minutes of uh, commercials and advertisements. But here at KPFK, Uh, We can bring you the voices that you would not have heard, uh, the voices of Palestinians, the voices of grassroots, rank-and-file labor activists. What we don't bring you is that kind of commercial uh, corporate underwriting. Uh, That means that we have to rely on you, our listeners, to support this station. Uh, We bring you real, uncensored, hard-hitting news, not the infotainment that other stations provide. And we can do this because we don't take money from large corporations like NPR does, Uh, So we need your donations now. Uh, Your donation will make this great programming possible, and it helps us to keep going to provide uncensored information that's needed now more than ever. Please go to the phone now and dial 818-985-5735. Press Option 2 for the uh, pledge line and donate to support Rebel Alliance News. You can also go online to kpfk.org. And uh, click on Donate. If you uh, give a minimum donation of $25, you become a member. You'll be eligible to vote in the elections later this year. If you can donate a little more, we can uh, give you many different amazing thank you gifts. For example, there's a best of compilation of Pacifica's programming on a USB stick. For over six decades, KPFK and Pacifica have collected the voices of dissent and we're continuing to do so. The voices of conscience, the voices for human rights. For a pledge of $250, you can get that uh, hundreds of hours of coverage. You can get it for yourself, for your children. You can share it with your school or community. Speeches by Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Leonard Peltier, uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement, Black Lives Matter, and many others that mainstream media try to silence. So please go to your phones now and call us. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, press Option 2 and say that you want to donate to support KPFK's Rebel Alliance News. If you want to keep us on the air, please donate now at that number or go online to kpfk.org so you'll know tomorrow what's going on in this city, this country, and the world. You can do it for your kids. You can save uh, uh, and protect independent media. You can maintain the freedom of speech and freedom of the press because KPFK is one of the last holdouts in an increasingly censored, streamlined media landscape dominated by corporate corporations that are actually involved in the wars that they refuse to report on. 818-985-5735 and donate now uh, via the website at kbfk.org. You can also donate your car, your motorcycle, your boat if you have one. Uh, if you're one of the lucky people who can afford a little more, you can donate more because many of us are hurting and can't donate. Please, uh, you might want to consider putting KBFK in your will and creating a beautiful legacy of freedom of speech and uh, independent community media. Let's keep the station going for all of our sakes. Thank you so much. The revolution will not be televised.
7: The revolution will not be televised.
2: In international news yesterday, the New York Times published an explosive and very belated admission that the United States intelligence uh, operations have not only been instrumental in Ukraine wartime decision making, but that it has established and financed high tech command and control spy centers and has been doing so long prior to the February 24, uh, 24th uh, invasion by Russia two years ago. Among the biggest uh, revelations is that the program was established over a decade ago and spans the administration of three different US presidents. The CIA program to modernize Ukraine's intelligence services has, quote, transformed the former Soviet state and boosted its capabilities to become what the report described as, quote, Washington's most important intelligence partners against the Kremlin today, unquote. According to the article, the CIA has secretly trained and equipped Ukrainian intelligence officers for over 10 years and has constructed a network of 12 secret bases along the Russian border with Ukraine. These intelligence bases from which Russian commanders' communications can be swept up and Russian satellites are monitored are being used to launch and track uh, cross-border drone and missile attacks on Russian territory now during the Ukraine war. This means that with the disclosure of this long-time closely guarded secret, the world just got a whole step closer to World War III because it means that the CIA is largely responsible for a recent spate of attacks that have included direct drone hits on key oil refineries in Russia, on energy infrastructure, and even on civilian populations in that country. A main source of the disclosures is identified as a top intelligence commander in Ukraine named General Serhil Dvoretsky. Uh, if the uh, New York Times is breaking the story, we can conclude that Kiev and Washington now want the world to know of the deep intelligence relationship that they have tried to conceal for the past decade. The carefully timed revelations could be designed to convince Congress to release more funding for the Ukraine war, but they also confirm what Russia's President Putin has accused Washington all along of doing. The report contains a surprisingly detailed description of one of the secret underground command centers established by the CIA near the Russian border. It reads, quote, The base is almost fully financed and partially equipped by the CIA. Within two years after the 2014 uh, coup uh, in Ukraine, the CIA had set up a training program for elite Ukrainian operatives. Quote, around 2016, the CIA began training an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245, which captured Russian drones and communications gear so, the CIA technicians could reverse engineer them and crack Moscow's encryption systems. The CIA also helped train a new generation of Ukrainian spies who operated inside Russia, across Europe, in Cuba, and in other places where Russia has a large presence. Unquote. The U.S. intelligence network in Ukraine, which is tantamount to a NATO intelligence network, has in reality been more extensive than even all the prior media speculation had envisioned. Ukraine has long been a massive, quote, intelligence-gathering hub in Europe for Washington and its partners. That's a quote, again, from the Times article. In more than 200 interviews, uh, the article continues, current and former officials in Ukraine, the United States, and Europe described a partnership to turn Ukraine into an intelligence-gathering hub in what's described as a near-lawless county, not bound to European rules and regulations. As Russia is now on the offensive and Ukraine is more dependent on sabotage and long-range missile strikes, an end to U.S. military funding to Kiev might force the CIA to scale back their operations, the article concluded. The Kremlin presented evidence of this long-denied CIA network as a key cause of the Russian invasion or so-called military, uh, special military action of February 24, 2022. Putin and his officials were adamant on the eve of the invasion that NATO was militarizing Ukraine. While the Times was in full denial back then, yesterday's article admits that the CIA, together with Britain's MI6, were controlling Ukraine and turning it into a beachhead for operations against Moscow all along. Elite commando teams were also being trained by the CIA in various European cities as part of a program called Operation Goldfish. Among the most interesting and curious moments in the New York Times report is a description of the CIA program's expansion under the Trump administration. The report suggests that the true scope may have been hidden from Trump himself. The Russia hawks in his, in his administration quietly did uh, the dirty work. The report emphasizes, quote, uh, whatever Trump said and did, his administration often went in the other direction. This is because Trump had put Russia hawks in key positions, including Mike Pompeo as CIA director and John Bolton as national security advisor. They visited Kiev to underline their full support for the secret partnership and the building of additional secret bases, end quote from the Times uh, expose. It will be interesting to see how the Kremlin and Trump will react to this expose in the coming days. Rebel Alliance <coughs> News.
6: I'm to watch this CIA, married to the money, keep my maiden name, hey.
2: And Erica in an unexpected development, uh, Ukraine appears to be in agreement with the Kremlin on Alexei Navalny's uh, recent death, uh, the cause of his death, inside an Arctic prison that occurred on February 16th and was listed by Russian authorities as due to, quote, natural causes. The dominant Western narrative thus far has been that Putin had Navalny murdered. Yet now, Ukrainian sources are saying that the anti-Putin activist, supported by the West died of a blood clot. Surprisingly, this explanation is being advanced among Ukraine media sources after General Kirilo Budanov, chief of the main directorate of intelligence in Ukraine, bluntly stated it to a group of journalists yesterday. Quote, I may disappoint you, but as far as we know, he indeed died as a result of a blood clot. And that has been more or less confirmed. This wasn't sourced from the internet, but unfortunately, natural causes, unquote. He added in the remarks, which were also caught on video. The spy chief's words were also picked up in the Daily Mail, a British publication, uh, although U.S. mainstream outlets have been slow to acknowledge the assessment. Quote, what has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality, unquote, President Joe Biden said immediately after Navalny's death was announced by Russian prison services. Some European leaders quickly branded Putin's government as a, quote, rogue regime as a result, urging that Moscow must be held accountable. The whole situation was compared to the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage, where there was an immediate rush to blame Moscow but the allegations were later quietly walked back. Over the weekend, Navalny's mother, Ludmila Navalnaya, said that her son's body was released to the family. Another stunning development and further uh, disclosure has been reported by Bloomberg today. Navalny was supposedly very close to being released amid secret talks involving the U.S. and Germany. Quote, Alexei Navalny had been close to a release in a prisoner exchange with the U.S. and Germany shortly before his death in an Arctic prison, a top aide to Navalny said. A quote, Navalny was supposed to be freed in the coming days, unquote, Maria Pevchik said in a video statement posted today. Russian President Vladimir Putin was offered an assassin imprisoned in Germany in exchange for Navalny and two U.S. citizens, she said.
8: Welcome to the river.
2: KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Uh, Rwanda and its M twenty three militia have surrounded Goma, the capital of the Democratic Republic of the Congo's northeastern Kivu province. Pacificus and Garrison has more. M twenty
1: three is the most recent incarnation of a Rwandan militia that has been fighting for decades to control territory and natural resources, especially mineral resources, in Congo's Kivu provinces. Troops from the Rwandan Defense Force are now fighting with them. The U.S. has publicly told Rwanda to withdraw its troops, but has not withdrawn its own financial support for Rwanda. The U.S. is the most generous bilateral donor to Rwanda, and it has long given the country special protective status based on its genocide victims' narrative, which resembles that of Israel. Rwanda massacres and displaces Congolese with impunity, much as Israel massacres and displaces Gazans with impunity. Although Rwanda has been fighting in Congo for nearly three decades, Congolese troops have never crossed into Rwanda during that time. I spoke to Congolese journalist Akilimali Chomachoma, about the situation in Goma, which is now surrounded by Rwandan forces. Achille Mali, could you describe the situation?
8: North Kivu province right now is in the worst situation because there is M twenty three who take the territory of Rutshuru around ninety percent, and now they are near of Goma, and this movement surrounds all Goma right now. All roads which connect uh, Goma are now under control of M twenty three and Rwanda. So people are feeling really unsafe and the humanitarian situation is really really bad because there is millions of people who leave their house and their villages and now are IDPs in Goma and the fear that Goma will be taken by the M23 and people are really terrorized by this situation.
1: How many people live in Goma? In Goma, we have around uh, 2
8: million of people who are living every day in Goma. But we, with this situation of the war, we have around 5 million of people who are surrounded in Goma and there is no way to move in another town or another area. Uh, there is no public number published by Andrews, but yeah. this is the estimation of many observers and uh, many experts of this situation.
1: How are they surviving?
8: I don't know if I can say survived or dying slowly because there is no water in many areas. There is no food. There is no shelter. There is no anything for them. And the government is not helping them a lot and uh, NGOs are not able to give a lot of support as expected. For example, in my last interview with an NGO mm-hmm. with uh, WFP, they say that they are now able to help around uh, 1 million of people by few food and uh, by some cash, but it's it's not really enough. There are also some community action which is leading by some local organization like Goma Active, like Yole Africa and others, local organization who are organizing some collection of food or things, but you can't say that the Congolese family are very rich. So it's a really dark situation. Could you explain M23? The M23 is a movement. It's a Rwanda movement created by Rwanda, but uh, with some Congolese who are in main position like spokesperson and whatever to give a Congolese identity to that movement and to say that it's a Congolese
1: movement. Isn't M-23 essentially a division of the Rwandan army?
8: I can say yes. I can say yes, because there are many soldiers and they are using weapons which can be only used by a government army and they are more trained and communication, more equipment for the war, what they are doing. It means that the M-23 for sure, there are many soldiers who come from Rwanda to be here in DRC because they are bombing also some helicopter and this, this kind of technology, even the Congolese government doesn't have it, so how a Congolese rebellion will have it. And there are weapons and there are special forces of Rwanda who are participating in this uh, operation.
1: What is Rwanda's goal in driving all these people from their villages and then surrounding them in Goma? Does Rwanda want to annex North Kivu or both the Kivu provinces, as is often said?
8: Rwanda is looking firstly for mineral, um, first of all, gold, coltan and cassiterite in, in Masisi and Ruchuru territory most of all. But we know that there are many foreigner countries, including Rwanda and countries of European Union and other countries who are supporting the Balkanization, it means for them uh, the Congo should be divided in many parts and those parts should be taken by other countries, including Rwanda.
1: The United States publicly told Rwanda to withdraw. What do you think of that?
8: I think the United States government is doing a kind of playing with some PR and some speech but the United States, as the first supporter of uh, the Rwanda, uh, has more power to stop this war. But the U.S. is financing, like uh, in many countries, is financing also a part of the national budget of Rwanda. And if uh, the United States say that if you don't withdraw your your troops there, you'll have finance s- sanctions, including to don't have money to support. The Rwanda budget, uh, for sure, the Rwanda will withdraw his troop in DRC. It's not an internal conflict like international media, some international media are saying it, an economic war against Congolese to take minerals and foreign country, including Western country, including U.S., are using uh, some neighborhood country to take control of DRC and to use uh, the Congo and to make sure that the Congo will not be stable and to make sure that when the Congo is not stable, it means that they will have more natural resources, more minerals to be exploited uh, for nothing. Uh, This is some U.S. companies' means and ways to get the iPhones, to get the computers, to get the Microsoft, to, to get an electrical car, and to get this technology which are helping the Western and East society to develop and to grow and to feel safe.
1: There was a Kilimali Chomachoma, Congolese journalist based in Goma, the capital of Congo's North Kivu province, which is now surrounded by Rwandan forces. For Pacifica. I'm in garrison.
9: For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. Gaza civilians continue to die not only due to constant Israeli bombardments, but also to lack of access to food, water, and medicine. Telesur correspondent Noor Harazin reports from the southern Gaza city of Rafah.
0: It is now a triangle of death here in the Gaza Strap. First, we're talking about the continuous Israeli attacks. Second, we are talking about the war of starvation. And third, we are talking about displacement and the spread of diseases. Palestinians here in Gaza are being killed with every possible uh, way as the Israeli forces continue targeting and attacking several areas in Gaza from its north to its uh, uh, south. According to the Palestinian health ministry, 89 Palestinians were killed in Gaza during the past 24 hours. And this brings up the death toll here in gaza since the 7th of october up to 29 1,692 Palestinians, 70% of them are women and uh, children. We're talking about the war of starvation now, less aid is being allowed into the Gaza Strip, even after the orders from the international court of facilitating humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip. And we are actually talking about a famine in northern Gaza as there is very little aid is being allowed to uh, northern Gaza. And uh, lastly, when talking about the displacement and the diseases, we all know how the city of Rafah, one of Gaza's small cities, became now as a house for more than 1.5 million Palestinians. Uh, uh, 1.2 of them are displaced Palestinians from the north and from uh, Middle uh, Gaza. According to the Palestinian Health Ministry, more than 400,000 cases of infections and diseases
9: have have been reported. Leaders of the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, have resolved to lift the economic and financial sanctions with immediate effect on the Republic of Niger. They say the decision to lift the sanctions was based on humanitarian considerations. Press TV correspondent Danjuma Abdullahi has details from Abuja, the Nigerian capital.
0: On the
7: The summit of ECOWAS leaders, which ended in Abuja, the Nigerian capital, resolved that closure of air and land borders between ECOWAS countries and Niger is to be lifted in addition to other sanctions.
8: No-fly zone of all commercial flights to and from Niger is to be lifted. Suspension of all commercial and financial transactions between ECOWAS member states and Niger is to be lifted. Freezing of all service transactions, including utility services, is to be lifted. Freezing of assets of the Republic of Niger in ECOWAS central banks is to be lifted.
7: However, the ECOWAS meeting called for the ruling authority in Niger to provide an acceptable transition timetable to constitutional order. The ECOWA's leader said the decision to lift the sanctions was based on humanitarian considerations, especially as people are in the month of Lent and the holy month of Ramadan approaches. The meeting asked the three countries that exited the ECOWAs, that are Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali, to reconsider the decisions in view of the benefits the countries and their citizens enjoy in the regional bloc, especially the hundreds of millions of dollars of projects and programs, notably the food security reserve. The ECOWAS leaders therefore urged the three member states that exited the regional body to resort to dialogue, negotiation and mediation to address their concerns.
8: The authority has also instructed the president of the commission to invite Burkina Faso, Niger, Mali and Guinea to attend the technical and consultative meetings of ECOWAS as well as all
7: security related meetings. The three US African countries exited the ECOWAS and established what they called the Sahel Alliance after ECOWAS resolved to condemn the military coups in the three countries and to impose sanctions on them. Experts believe that there are solutions in the medium and long terms
8: for solving the crisis in the regional economic body. The issues I mentioned earlier of Pan-Africanism, of resource nationalism, of ensuring that people are carried along in decision-making processes, of ensuring that there is equitable distribution of resources, of ensuring that people have access to the good things of life, of ensuring that the dividends of governance is brought to the people must be addressed.
7: As one of the least developed regions in the world, The Sahel faces a multitude of challenges, including poverty, food security, poor governance and insecurity. Experts say some of these challenges are a matter of great concern, not just for the Sahel, but for the whole of Africa and beyond. They also noted that skillful diplomacy must be employed in addressing the exit of the three West African regions from the ECOWAS.
9: Thousands of junior doctors in Britain have walked off the job yet again. It's a five-day strike, the second this year and the tenth walkout in 12 months over a long-running pay dispute with the government. As Press TV's Said Pereza reports, the stalemate has left the doctors feeling demoralized and led to think of seeking employment abroad.
10: No picket lines over the weekend here, but the strike action is on. Thousands of National Health Service junior doctors who form half of the doctor's workforce in England walk up the job. Their demands the same as the last time we talked to them. Because of
5: this erosion of pay over all this time, we've been seeing problems with staff recruitment and retention, and we've been hemorrhaging people either out of medicine completely or to other countries that are willing to recruit us and pay us basically the rates we were being paid 15 years ago. And so the message from the BMA has always been to try and get that pay back to 2008 levels.
10: In other words, a 35% pay rise to make up for previous below-inflation pay rises. An extra 3% on top of the average of nearly 9% received last year was being discussed before talks between the government and the BMA, the trade union for doctors, broke down in December. But the walkouts come at a cost. They're happening at a critical time of year when hospitals are especially busy dealing with the challenges of the coal season and with an NHS waiting list at a staggering 7.6 million. Over 1.3 million hospital appointments had to be rescheduled since the industrial action began over a year ago. And yet the striking doctors continue to enjoy the support of over half of Britons. The doctors say they're doing this to bring the government back to the negotiating table and to get it to recognize their value. They're also saying that feeling undervalued and being underpaid is pushing them to seek jobs abroad. The BMA says four in ten doctors plan to leave the NHS at the first opportunity. The government says it won't negotiate while the strikes are ongoing.
4: There's an overall focus on privatization, which means the health insurance companies will be taking over many aspects of the running and resources of health. And that's led to record low wages, especially compared to a massive inflation and cost of living crisis, so that it no longer justifies the cost of training uh, in terms of the actual remuneration. Medical students are leaving at medical school with £100,000 worth of debt, and they're not looking to pay that off for well over a decade. Whereas if they go to other countries simply next door, uh, Ireland or Australia, they can immediately double their wage.
10: The British government seems nowhere near loosening its purse strings. But the consensus is that the longer these strikes grind on, the wider the damage.
9: And that's all in today's international news from non-NATO media. For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, I'm Paulina Vasiliev.
2: And you have been listening to KPFK's Rebel Alliance News here on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles. This is uh, Michael Novick, the Interim General Manager of KPFK, been reading the news uh, for you tonight. Uh, we need you to support this newscast and this station. Uh, if you appreciate a newscast that carries news from Africa and about Africa in the voices of Africans themselves, analyzing what's going on on their continent, if you appreciate a newscast that carries the voices of labor activists who understand the connection between the struggles of working people in this country and the struggle for uh, justice and liberation and equality in Palestine. Uh, You need to show that appreciation now. We need you to call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, press option 2 for the pledge line. Or go to the website, kpfk.org. You can click on the big banner for the uh, February uh, midwinter uh, fund drive. Or you can click on the donate button up at the top. But we need you to become a sustaining member of this station. And we need you to do it now. Uh, KPFK uh, you know, provides you news that you will not hear almost anywhere else on the dial. Certainly not here in Southern California. Again, if you've been listening to the news on an NPR station, you would have heard probably in the course of an hour six or seven underwriting announcements about the corporations that would bring you the news. Big pharma, big oil, uh, big uh, trading companies like Archer Daniels, Midland. If you've been watching the news on MSNBC, you probably would have heard in an hour uh, uh, somewhere between 10 and 12 minutes uh, of advertising uh, for commercial interests. But here on KPFK, you don't get that. You get the unvarnished news directly. And we need you to support that, because without your support, that, that effort is not possible. Uh, so please go to kpfk.org, click on Donate, or call us at 818-985-5735. Press Option 2 for the pledge line, and become a member uh, by donating at least $25, but $50 or 100 or become a monthly sustainer. Join the KPFK family. You'll be able to vote in the elections later this year. Rebel Alliance News wants to thank our engineer, Wendell Handy. Our uh, tireless contributors, Paulina Vasiliev, Peter Ross, and Garrison, our producer, Ziri Rideau. You can find us on uh, rebelalliancenews.org and on the KPFK uh, Rebel Alliance uh, podcast, on Apple, on Spotify. Coming up next is IMRU, the long-running uh, LGBTQ program here on KPFK. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 p.m. I hope you join us again. I'm Michael Novick for the newscast, and I will be back on the air Uh, Thursday at 3 p.m. with a report to the listener in depth talking about the move that's going to be taking place. Uh, We do need your support. We're going to stay on the air, but we have to uh, relocate our facilities for a brief period of time. Again, stay tuned for IMRU, and thanks for listening.